Liars are everywhere. Studies have shown that honest people lie anywhere from two to four times a day. Doesn't really make them very honest. <laughs> two to four times a day, the most honest people, the people that, that claim to have the most kind of integrity and honesty lie two to four times a day. And I think it begs the question, how can we tell if someone's lying to us? How can we know when someone's not telling us the truth? Well, someone came up with a, a grand list of different ways where you can see the symptoms of a liar. And you can know that someone is not telling you the truth. Number one, they say, biggest sign that someone's lying to you. Number one, they're natural manipulators. They're manipulators. Not only is it that what they have to say to you is faulty, but what they want from you is disingenuous. They're manipulators. Number two, they're great actors. A lie can come in many different forms. Someone can be very passionate about a lie, uh, like a child who uh, wrote with a crayon all over the wall and when asked if he didn't do it, begins to uh, cry out, no, I didn't, no, I didn't, no, I didn't. And you're tempted to believe him just because he's really good at screaming and crying. Which actually leads to number three, they're really good at faking emotions. And maybe you've been there or you've seen people in your life that kind of do this. Um, they get worked up when they lie. They get angry. They get defensive. Um, they argue with you. Maybe they do cry. Maybe they get emotional. Uh, lying brings out certain things in us that otherwise wouldn't come to the surface. Number four, liars are prepared to lie. Liars are ready to do so. Liars think about what they want to say before they say it. They don't just lie and make things up on the fly. They prepare what they have to say before they deliver it. And sometimes liars will tell you as little information as possible. Uh, everything is left to be very general. Things are left to be as uninformed as, possibly, as one can possibly make them. Did you do that? Mm-hmm. Are you sure? I don't know. Not saying anything gives away a liar. They're creative. They can come up with stories, fantasies, unicorns, rainbows, dragons. They think fast on their feet. They can speak for a long time and they can respond to you and in their stories you hear the ums and uhs and um, uh, uh, consistent for a liar. They have good memory. They don't forget things. Matter of fact, if they were to forget things, they wouldn't be able to lie about them. And so they do. They lie because they know the truth. And number nine in this list, they're good listeners. They hear what's going on because if they don't, they can't cover up the truth. Uh, these are just some reasons that are conjured up for us about how you can identify someone who's lying to you. And as we turn to John chapter 8, I, I think that's partly the answer that we're looking for in this chapter as well. There's a million different symptoms that we can point to in a liar. And in John chapter 8, 
It's as if John and more particularly Jesus is less concerned about the symptoms as he is the source. Jesus isn't looking to identify for you any particular person in terms of how they speak and how they think and how creative they are, how fast they speak, how slow they speak. Jesus is looking to communicate to you that lying all comes from somewhere. And if you can know where it comes from, you can know who you belong to. If you know where it comes from, then you can know when being lied to, where those people come from. You would remember that in John chapter 8, uh, we've come to a point, especially in 30, verse 31 onward, where we're beginning to identify that each of us come from one of two fathers. You are either, spiritually speaking, from the Father of truth. You are from God the Father, a God who tells all truth, is all truth, and sent us His Son, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Or you are of your Father, the devil. Who verse 44 says, it's his, uh, he was a murderer from the beginning, and the truth does not stand in him. There is no truth in him. When he speaks, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. It's one of two options. This isn't a multiple choice question, and if you're trying to figure out who you belong to, the answer is really simple. The answer for us becomes really simple. If you love the truth and you live by the truth, you belong to God. But if you deny the truth and you buy into lies, you are of the world. And we try to complicate this so much in our lives, but Jesus desires to bring clarity to each of us. This morning, having already looked at the person who abides in the word of God, who knows the truth, who is set free from sin, and who belongs to God the Father, this morning we are going to turn and see the opposite side of the coin. We're going to see a very different family here. We are going to see the family of Satan, the family of the devil, the family of the world. And I want you to be able to identify this. We're going to look at three characteristics of those who belong to the world. And there's many reasons for why you need this. One, if you're a believer, it'll be an encouragement to you that this is not you. It'll be an encouragement to you that by God's grace, you have been saved out of this kind of life and granted a new one. It'll remind you of what your life used to look like. And as you think of it, you recognize God has been merciful to me to make me one who used to love, the, love lies to one who now loves the truth. It's necessary to hear this warning of this worldly family because some of you need to turn to Christ. Some of you have lived in lies for far too long. Some of you are actually in this room right now, and you can talk a lot about Jesus. But you don't live by His truth. You don't acknowledge Him as having truth. You're combative with the Scriptures. And in fact, when you don't like something in the Bible, you say it's confusing. 
When you don't like something in the Bible, you say it's too difficult to obey. When you don't like something in the Bible, you shrug it off. When you don't like something in the Bible, you put it out of your mind. And in what we're going to see this morning, we're going to recognize someone who believes in Christ, lives for Christ. And those two things are not mutually exclusive. James chapter 2 tells us that faith is not complete without works. And the point is not that you are saved by what you do. The point is that faith has evidences of its existence. And its evidence is that you follow and obey after the Lord. Some of you need to turn to Christ. All of you live in a world of deception and lies. All of you live in a world that would love for you to believe that God is not who he says he is. All of you live in a world that views this Bible the same way that it views Shakespeare or Sports Illustrated. All of you live in a world that would love for you to use the Bible as a book of reference, as a book of religion, and not for what it is, the transforming, life-changing Word of God able to save your souls. All of you live in a world where your professors and your teachers and even your friends and people who claim to care about you would want you to think about this as a textbook, something you can debate with, something that you can work with, something that you can manage and say there's parts of it that are very true, but there's parts of it that we don't need to listen to. There's parts of it that tell us truth about life, and there's parts of it that are completely made up. Seven-day creation, why would we ever believe in that? Truth about sexuality and love, why would we believe in that? Truth about good and evil, why would we believe in that? Sin, that's not really an issue. We're just prone to make mistakes and we just sometimes fall short and do bad things, but they're not that big of a deal. All of you live in a world that would love for you to buy into lies. And so, you need to be able to identify when it is that a liar comes up to you. Maybe in this, you'll identify your own heart and turn to Christ. Three characteristics of those who belong to the world. Number one, you are confident in your own works. Confident in your own works. Jesus has communicated to these Jewish people who having heard his testimony of himself having seen the works that he does having experienced his miracles and all his wonder and what he's able to do having heard him say he's the bread of life having heard him say he is the light of the world having heard him say that he and the father are one having heard him say I speak of what I've seen with my father They turn to him and they want nothing to do with what he has to say. Verse 39, they answer him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, 
a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. Those who buy into lies don't like to hear what God has to say because they are so much more concerned with what they do. They don't care for God's truth because they're comfortable in their self-righteousness. That's what faces these Jewish people here. Jesus is offering them salvation, but they are saying they don't need it. They are content with what they do for God. They feel like what they do for God is sufficient. They feel like what they do for God is enough. And they boast in their arrogance of where they come from. We don't need Jesus. We have Abraham, which sounds like a really good thing. If you understood what it meant to be like Abraham. Turn with me really quick to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. I want you to see how it's reflected that we should model after Abraham. You know that God made a promise to Abraham to give him a people and a nation, uh, to be with him forever and to ensure that his nation would endure forever. There's a promise made to Abraham and Abraham walks with God. Abraham lives for God. Abraham, as imperfect as he is, follows God. But notice who it is that is a son of Abraham. Galatians 3, verse 7, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Notice that to follow Abraham, as Paul describes it to these Galatians who were lost in religion, is not necessarily about what you are doing. It is first and foremost about what you are believing. To be a son of Abraham is not about behavior, it's about belief. It is about faith. It is about trusting in God's word. The noblest thing that Abraham did was that when God said, you ought to leave your homeland, he went. And it's not the going that matters. It's the belief in God's word that when God says go, you can trust him. Abraham had no idea where God was leading him. Abraham had no idea what God's purposes were for his life. Abraham just knew that when God said, go, and I'll take care of you, Abraham believed him. Look with me at Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. Verse 11 reads, Abraham received the sign of circumcision as a seal for the 
of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Here's the exact point that Jesus is making to these Jewish people in John 8. You are so proud of your ethnicity. You are so proud of where you come from. You are so proud that you have a religion to claim as your own. And that was never the point. The point was that Abraham believed God and so should you. Friends, some of you have stepped foot in this church for years now. I've gone through many of the baptism testimonies and I have so many more to still go through because many of you have professed faith in Christ and it's awesome. Many of them begin with, I grew up at Grace Church. That is a beautiful thing. And that will not help you at all when you stand in judgment before God. That you grew up at Grace Church and that you did Awana or you did Adventure Club or that you went through youth group and that you sat through Bible study and that you participated in small groups and that you went to camp and that you knew your Bible. That will not help you at all when you stand before God. The question is, when you heard his word, did you believe it? We know you believed it because you lived for it. We know you took God seriously, not just because of all the things that you did, but because you believed it in your heart and your life was transformed by it. These Jewish leaders here were very confident in their own works, and I pray that that would not be you. Someone who is wrapped up in the father of this world, the devil, Satan, someone who wishes to do the father's desires, has confidence in himself instead of confidence in the cross. They have confidence in their ability to impress God instead of confidence in the Son who pleases God. Friends, what all of us need is more confidence in Jesus and less confidence in the flesh. You can spot someone who belongs to the world because they are very religious and they are very confident in their works number two not only are they confident in their works but they're captive to satan's lies they are captive to satan's lies notice as they try to claim that they belong to abraham jesus actually responds to them in verse 41 you are doing the works your father did abraham didn't do this When God showed up to Abraham, Abraham listened. And that's not what you're doing. In fact, you are actually doing the works of your true father. And it's not Abraham. They get a little edgy with Jesus. And so they say, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. So they pivot. Abraham is our father is how this started. Now it's God is our father. But notice in it, they have to take a jab at Jesus, don't they? We weren't born of sexual immorality. The implication is, you were. Uh, Obviously, we know, having 
been through the Christmas season and you knowing your Bible, you understand the realities of the virgin birth that Mary conceived because the Holy Spirit overtook her and there was a supernatural miracle by which Jesus is born to us. These people don't get that. In fact, these people assume the worst about Jesus and his family. So the only explanation for where Jesus comes from to this to them is Mary must have done something wrong. She must have been with a guy not named Joseph, and this guy was born out of wedlock. So they turn the table on Jesus. We know where you come from. You come from a broken, dysfunctional, immoral family. And we have Abraham, and we have God. Notice what Jesus tells them. The truth speaks up and he says, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. You want to test that someone truly knows and loves God? Ask them about Jesus. I mean, I'm sure you have many friends that tell you that they can, uh, they know God and they love God. And in fact, their God is the same as your God. Allah is basically the same God that you worship. They're one and the same. That's great. Awesome. Tell me about Jesus. What do you know about Christ? Who is Jesus? And what has Jesus said of himself? Those who truly know God know him because of his son. This is what Jesus is declaring to them. If you really knew the Father, you would believe in me. You would accept me. You would love me. I came from God and I am here. The Word has truly become flesh. God has not remained silent. God has not remained hidden. God desired to show up. And He did in the person of Jesus. You can't claim to know God if you don't have love for his son. You can't claim that God is your father if you have not accepted his son as the only way of salvation. You can't claim to have a right relationship with God and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. In a world that would want you to disbelieve in God, your obligation is to hold on to Christ. And you can know that the world is fully against this because they are captive to Satan's lies. Here Jesus is declaring to these people and giving them an opportunity to believe in him. But he knows their hearts. He didn't come of his own accord. He was sent. And verse 43 says, why do you not understand what I say? Why is it that you can't buy into me? Why is it that you don't believe on me? Why is it that you don't love me? It's because you can't bear to hear my word. If you want to prove where there is a lovelessness for Jesus, all you have to do is ask someone, what do you do with God's word? It's really simple. If you want to show the kind of devotion or you want to prove the kind of devotion anyone has for Christ, show me what they do with the word of God. Show me how they devote themselves to it, memorize it, write it on their hearts, live by it, speak by it, think through it, 
how they interact with it and how they interact with others according to the word of God. I can guarantee you that many say they love God, but they don't have any regard for his word. Many people that you come in contact with, maybe even in this room, I'm sure at your schools, on your sports team and your families will declare to you their love for God. But when you ask them what God's word says, they have no idea. Friends, if you love God, you love his word. And if you do not love God, this is a burden to you. This is difficult for you. You do not desire to hear it. It's too much for you to bear. You have too much wisdom in your own heart to listen to the wisdom of God. You have too many friends pulling you in different directions for you to want to submit to the word of God. The reason for that is that you are truly captive to Satan's lies. Look at what it says in verse 44. The reason you can't bear to hear my word, you are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Notice, notice what's going on here. To believe in Jesus as Jesus describes it in verse 31 means that you would abide in his word. And that means that if you abide in his word, you'll know the truth. Why? John 14, 6, because Jesus is the truth, right? So if you abide in Jesus, you are abiding, you are grafted into, you are remaining in, you are sustained by the source of truth. If you don't abide in Jesus, you are a part of the world. Your father is the devil. Your will is to do his desires. And and notice He was a murderer from the beginning, and you all know that because you've read Genesis chapter 3. You know that his desire, though God desired to let Adam and Eve live peacefully and and infinitely with him in perfect union, Satan destroyed that. Why did he do that? He doesn't stand in the truth. Why? Because there's no truth in him. In Jesus is perfect truth. In the world, there isn't even a hint of it. The devil is only a source of lies, only a means of distracting you and distorting to you the truth of God's word. This is what he did in the garden, isn't it? God spoke loudly and clearly, but Satan comes in and says, Did God actually say... No lies yet, but the beginnings of it. And this is what he's been doing since the beginning. Notice what he continues to say. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. Out of the character of God, we get truth. Out of the character of Satan, we get lies. For he is a liar and the father of lies. If you want to be able to decipher in this world who is of God and who is not what do they talk about what do they promote is it truth or is it lies turn with me to 1 John chapter 3 
1 John chapter 3, verse 6. No one who abides in him, being Jesus, keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Why? For God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. By this it's evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Do you want to know how you can tell them apart? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Here before Jesus are a bunch of people who do not love righteousness as God defines it. And they do not love Jesus, their brother, as God defines that. Friends, the same can be true of you. Do you love the truth of God's word? Do you desire the truth of God's word? Do you abide in the truth of God's word? Do you, do you seek to live by what God's word has to say? Or is this a burden to you? Is it easier for you to listen to every other voice in your life but God? If that's the case, you are in a very dangerous place. You are down a path that the father of lies is down as well. You are going in a direction that will be absent from God, absent from his love, absent from his peace, absent from his hope, absent from his joy. To not take God's word seriously is to give yourself over to the lies of the world. And I think at this point, it's probably helpful to inform you as well. The world will not cater its lies to you with a big sign that says, hey, this is a big fat lie, like, just so you know, if you want to believe in it, you can, but you don't have to because I'm telling you it's a lie. No one does that, and neither will the world. The world is happy to present things to you that seem plausible. The world is happy to present things to you that make sense. The world is happy to present to you things that seem like they could even come from God. The world is happy to present to things to you that look like they might even make sense with your Bible. Doesn't that put more responsibility on you to know your Bible if the world's going to lie to you about it? Doesn't that put more responsibility on you to know God's word and to love him and to follow him if you know the world is going to try to deceive you? And maybe not in outlandish kinds of ways. I promise you the world would love to deceive you in ways that you don't expect are coming. 
Recently, I was I've been reading the Screw Tape Letters. I don't know has anyone ever read uh, C.S. Lewis's Screw Tape Letters? It's an awesome read. I'd encourage any of you to read it. It's kind of written a bit as a as a satire, and it's a conversation that's being had, uh, a fictional conversation between a uh, kind of this senior demon in uh, the devil's realm with his apprentice, his nephew named Wormwood, which is just an awful name if anyone ever calls you Wormwood, both he's demonic and also just a bad name. So it's a conversation they continue to have and it's letters that he writes to him as Wormwood has this responsibility to tempt who they call the patient. Wormwood has this one person who is trying to tempt away from God with all kinds of sins and devices. And the author, Screwtape, is writing to him these letters to encourage him on how to do it. And it's fascinating that in this, he tells him, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. It's a gentle slope. It's soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Friends, the world is lying to you left and right. And the only way that you will be able to perceive it is by committing to God's word. The world will seek to tempt you away from the word of God. The world will seek to lie to you about God, his character, his goodness, and his gospel. And they will not do it necessarily in the most obvious of ways. They would love to bring you into its destruction in subtle ways, gently, gradually. If you're going to determine and know when you're being lied to, by the world, then you need to know and stay close to the truth of God's word. Jesus follows up here in verse 45. The devil is a liar and he is the father of lies and all who follow after him love his lies. And because Jesus is here telling the truth, they do not believe him. They want nothing to do with him. Which one of you convicts me of sin? Verse 46, if I tell the truth, why don't you believe me? Verse 47 makes it clear. Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason you don't hear them is you're not of God. And so if you are captive to Satan's lies, the only hope for you is not for you to wrestle out of it. It's not for you to fight your way through. It is for you to cry out to God to make you born again. It is for you to cry out to God to make you new. For you to cry out to God to give you a new heart. The reason you cannot hear God is you don't belong to Him. And the graciousness of God is that He makes this known to you to convict you of that sin so that in doing so, you might repent and turn away by His grace and be made new in him captive to satan's lies i believe it's jesus who says in verse 31 of this same chapter if you abide in his word you're his disciples you know the truth and the truth 
will set you free. If you want freedom from this kind of captivity, then you must turn to Jesus. You must abide in His Word. You must know His truth. And the result is freedom from sin and lies. Number three here, a third characteristic of those who belong to the world. And I'll be brief here. Number three, you're callous to God's judgment. You're a callous to God's judgment. Has anyone ever had a callous before? Um, you know, if you work, if you're like a carpenter or, you know, you, you do a lot of work around the house, which I wouldn't know about. Um, you know, you develop these really hard, bumpy pieces of skin that really at that point don't feel anything. Um, and so they're, they're, they're rid of any ability to have sensation or feeling. You can poke around at it, you can pinch it, you can do stuff to it, and you wouldn't feel a thing. People who have gone this long being confident in their work, people who, who go on and on captive to Satan's lies and in their sins, they have no idea, there is no ability to discern or to feel the wrath of God that's coming for them. And that's what we see here. Jesus tells these folks they are of the father, their father, the devil, the father of lies. And they try to turn this around and say, aren't we right in saying that you're a Samaritan and have a demon? That's really cool, bro. Just repeat to me what I just said to you. That'll work. They basically try to turn this back on Jesus like he's the crazy person. Uh, he's the unlikable one. To call him a Samaritan, it's um, honestly in... There's a relatability to making that some kind of a racial slur. They don't like the Samaritans. The Samaritans were people who mixed with pagan nations, and so they have never been liked. They have never been respected. It's why the story of the Good Samaritan is so uh, out of this world, because not only does this guy stoop down to help, he's a Samaritan. This is unexpected of him. We don't like him. And because they don't know where Jesus comes from, they don't know who his father is, they think he has daddy issues, he might even come from a Samaritan. What's more than that, this guy is talking so crazy, he must have a demon. Jesus responds to them, I don't have a demon, but I honor the father and you dishonor me. Which means what? If Jesus is honoring the Father and you dishonor Jesus, what are you doing by implication? You're dishonoring God. If you dishonor Christ by rejecting His cry for you to come to Him for grace and mercy, you're dishonoring God. Or in another way, if you're dishonoring Jesus by claiming that you know Him, and claiming that you love him, but, and, and all the while not following him, which is what's going on in this passage. Remember in verse 30, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. And Jesus says, that's really nice that you like me, but what I'm saying is follow me. And if you're the kind of person who says, yes, I know Jesus, but you don't follow him, you dishonor him. And if you dishonor him, you dishonor his father. 
And Jesus makes it clear here, no one dishonors the Father and gets away with it. No one dishonors God and lives against God and disregards His Word or acts like they love His Word, acts like they love what's going on here, but do whatever they want outside of here. No one gets to do that and get away with it. You can can flip God off in this life, but you will not get away with it. I promise you. And God makes that clear to you in his word. I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Good luck getting away with it when the God who sees all things, knows all things, reads your heart, knows what you love, knows what you desire, knows what you struggle with, knows how you sin, knows how you talk to your parents, knows how you cheat on tests, knows how you laugh with your friends, knows how you joke with your friends, knows everything that you do, knows you better than you, knows yourself. Good luck standing before him and getting away with it. Dishonor him as much as you want in this life. God will bring himself glory, either in saving you or judging you. People who belong to their father, the devil, are callous to the judgment that is to come. Jesus declares this to them, and his hope and anticipation is that they would believe on him. Judgment has not come yet. Hebrews tells them that we should approach the throne of grace while that grace is open to us. The cry that Jesus is saying to these people and he's saying to you now is come to me while you can. Come to me while there's grace. How do I know that? Verse 51, truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Jesus makes it abundantly clear to these people. And it leads into this grand conversation about Abraham. Abraham, we know you have a demon. Abraham died and the prophets died. And you're going to say that if we believe in you, we'll never die. That makes no sense. That doesn't accord with our religion. Are you better than Abraham? Are you greater than Abraham? Are you greater than the prophets? Who do you think you are? On what basis can Jesus make this kind of promise? How is it that Jesus can not only tell us that we'll be judged, but much more, tell us we can be saved? Who gives him that right? What gives him that authority? Jesus makes this clear to them with a very simple statement. Jesus knows exactly where he comes from, and he's not going to lie to them about it. That would make them exactly like them. That's what he says in verse 55. Verse 56, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. They start doing math in their heads and they're like, there's no way. You're not even 50 years old. There's not a chance that you know Abraham. Of course he does. Because before Abraham was, I am. The reason Jesus knows Abraham is he made Abraham. The reason Jesus knows Abraham is not because he was. There's no time stamp to Jesus in this sense. Jesus is fully God and fully man, truly God and truly man. And so Jesus bears upon himself in verse 58 the name of God. 
The same one, Exodus 3.14, who shows up in a burning bush. Who am I supposed to tell, Moses says, that, that you sent me? How do I get these people to follow me out of Egypt? You tell them, I am sent me. I am who I am. Another way of saying it is, I exist because I exist. No one tells me what to do. No one tells me who I am. I always have been and I always will be. And Jesus is declaring that here. On what basis does anyone who belongs to the world, anyone who is confident in their works, who's captive to the lies of Satan, who's callous to the judgment of God, do they have any hope? Absolutely they do. Because Jesus has spoken these words to expose those things in you that you might believe in Him. And why should you believe in Him? Because He is God. On what, ba- on what basis are His promises true? Because He is God. Because He is God, very God, you can believe and know with full confidence that every word He says is true. Sinners will be judged. And those who trust in Jesus will be saved. What will you do with that? I know what they did. Verse 59. They picked up stones to throw at him. And Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. They chose poorly. Hearing the truth from God, hearing the truth from Jesus, they chose to kill him. And it's reminiscent of what happens in Genesis chapter 4 with Cain and Abel. Abel was righteous. Cain was not. The only way Cain knew how to deal with that was by killing his brother. Same is true for everyone who does not love Jesus. You love yourself. You will do anything to stamp Jesus out. Only problem is this. No one can do that to Jesus. Jesus gives his life up willingly. Jesus takes that life back up because he's able to and he's powerful to. And Jesus will accomplish everything he purposes. So you can bank on this. Those who trust in Jesus and know him to be true will truly be saved. And those who reject Jesus, those who dishonor him in his name, dishonor God and will receive the judgment that God has promised. I pray that you would turn to Jesus and I pray that in a world filled with lies, you would make his truth known. Pray with me and then we'll dismiss. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for your truth. Thank you because you are good and you do save. And though you tell us of the great judgment that is to come upon sinners, that there is a lake of fire reserved for all eternity, a fire that will never be put out, and a sorrow that will never be turned to joy, and an anguish that will never be taken away, and a people who will long for love and long for fellowship with God and never receive it. Though that is a reality coming, today you offer anyone who hears these words and believes in you and follows you that they can have hope, joy, and everlasting life in God. 
Thank you, God, because truly we cannot save ourselves. I cannot save anyone, but surely you can. So I depend on you. I depend on your spirit, and we depend on your word to save and to sanctify. Help us to love the truth, to know the truth, so that in doing so, we would be able to know and discern and recognize the lies of the world and instead herald the goodness of God through the gospel of his son. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.